Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Foothills Christian Church at home. And I am so excited because right now I am in your living room. Isn't that awesome? Hey, if you have the phone app, you can pull out your phone and go to the phone app and then click on Sunday and then click on message notes because all the message notes are there, all the scriptures are there, and it'll also give you an opportunity to fill in the blank as I go along. Now, if you don't have uh, the phone app, we encourage you to download it and uh, go get a piece of paper, though, in the meantime and you can kind of take notes in as well. And then finally, uh, some of you, a lot of you, uh, are watching on YouTube, and so we just really encourage you to hit the subscribe button, and what, what that does is that as our subscriptions go up, what that does is YouTube then releases more freedom and more uh, support for us, and that's gonna help us do what we're needing to do to meet all the needs of our community. So if you would join with us and subscribe to the channel, it makes a big big difference. So what's going on? I mean, that's a question I get. Number one, what in the world is going on? Is God uh, causing this or is God watching this happen and unable to do anything about it? Is this one of the plagues of Egypt going out across the land? Uh, The people are asking all kinds of questions about what is going on. One of the interesting things about it is that it can because we don't have clear answers right now, our anxiety level goes up. For instance, if you're uh, 35 or under, this may be the first major global upset that you've lived through as an adult. And what that does is it's like, well, I'm, I'm feeling the emotional weight and impact of this. All the other stuff happened before I was born or when I was a child. And so now this is your very first one. And because it's your first time, you're not sure how to navigate the emotional weight of it. I mean, your brain is telling you one thing, but the emotional weight causes a lot of uh, uh, heaviness and it can cause your anxiety level to go up without even knowing it. So, well, some of the things that are happening here is, is that many people... Many people are wondering, what if people close to me pass away? What if I get this? How am I going to impact? Is our system going to be overwhelmed? All these types of things. But the underlying question that is really being asked here is, what is the purpose and meaning of life? You know, when these things happen, what it does is it causes us to reevaluate our lives. The essence of meaning, the essence of purpose. Now, you may have a lot of friends who are unchurched or friends who are like, you know, I don't even know what to believe. And right now, they're really, really thirsty. They're really thirsting for something beyond just the bad news and people trying to navigate the practical implications of this tragic situation. They need something deeper, and that is they're thirsty. So you have an opportunity to show them how to quench that thirst by having them turn to Christ in their hour of need. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Church at my house today and what that 
means. So what I'd like you to do is, if you're on the phone app taking notes, or if you have a notepad, is just write down some of your major concerns right now. You can tap on that open spot in the phone app. You can also uh, just write down, what are your major concerns? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your business? What are the things that are weighing really heavy on your heart? Write those things down. And then we're going to come back to them at the end of the service where you can address them, okay? So what's going on right now? Well, what's going on right now is the governor in the state of Idaho from which our material address is in the Treasure Valley or Boise, Idaho, has put the state under a 21-day quarantine, meaning you're only allowed to go out if you're of central needs. Now, once that order came out, what happened is a lot of people our church included, called and contacted the governor's office, the Central District Health and so forth, and said, okay, we just want to know what's, you know, allowed or not, what's essential or not. And so they have since sent out some uh, further memos and statements. And what they basically said is that a lot of the main ministries of our church, which is the food pantry, the clothing boutique, which we clothe people, going out and meeting people that are in quarantine, you know, meeting their needs in any particular way, helping them with transportation to hospitals and so forth, or doctor's appointments. Also, they said our church services, where we're streaming online, and all the volunteer personnel involved with that, musicians and production crew, are all exempt from the order. So we we're not doing anything uh, to be out of compliance. And we have directly from the governor's office that what we're doing is okay. And so we want to keep doing this as much as we can to help meet your needs. And that, that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to live by a motto that we started with. And the staff and elders came together when this first happened and said, how does Jesus want us to respond? And this is what we came up with. Uh, Jason mentioned it in his thing. And that is the simple motto of do all you can. And so that's our motto as a church. Do all we can. Our goal is to do all we can in being the church in the midst of this crisis, and also do all we can to be as helpful for our community as, a po as possible. So that's our motto, that's how we're living, and that's what I want you to adopt as your family motto. Now this is important because I know right now there are some empty nesters at home, right? And you're working from home, and you are now with each other 24-7. And you're thinking, this is what retirement looks like. I'm not ready to retire. You know, you love each other, you have years together, but maybe this is a bit much. I get that. Also, there's uh, families that are trying to educate their kids. It's not just, oh, this is spring break or summertime. I actually have to start grabbing the reins of, of educating my kids homeschooling, and that's a challenge. Uh, I was reading about an eight-year-old boy, and he wrote in his journal, listen to what he wrote about his homeschooling experience with his mom on day one. It is not going good. My mom is getting stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out. And I'm telling you, it is not going good. <laughs> now, I don't know how many of you feel that way, but this eight-year-old boy kind of put a synopsis of it together. You know, churches are wondering how in the world are we going to baptize people under a social 
distancing requirement. So I got out there and asked a bunch of my friends from churches all over the Fruited Plain, and this is what we've come up with. We've come up with a brand new way in which we can baptize people here. Here's what it is. It's an old-fashioned dunk tank. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's the problem, though, is... Uh, I can't really throw and hit that thing very well. So Pastor Harv, who was a baseball player in college, is now going to be in charge of all baptisms. That way you know you're going to get dunked on the first throw, okay? Otherwise, you might be sitting up there for a half hour waiting for me to hit the target. So isn't that great? Uh, the other thing, too, is, is this, is I'm concerned about people getting sedentary and not uh, exercising and all that. So people have been sharing what they're doing at home. They're coming up with ideas to get you fired up. And this is how you turn your quarantine into a joyatine. Let's see what they're doing. The toilet paper push-up. <laughs> the toilet paper leg lift. Oh, here you go, in a small apartment. You can now squat your carpet. Now here's what I call vegetarian ab work. When you start using your plants. And then this is my personal fa favorite for all you swimmers. You can now practice your swimming at home. Now. In all seriousness, I know that's a little bit of fun, but in all seriousness, our church has been living the motto, do all we can. And what that means is that as a challenge to you during church at home is in order to get through this, in order to not stagnate, but actually grow and to thrive, then I want you to learn how to be the church at home and really become who Christ is calling you and your family to become in the midst of this. So let's turn back to the first century church and let's see how they did what they did at the very beginning and how that can be a model for us on how we face uncertain times. Now, if you remember, last week we were in Acts chapter 2 and we see the birth of the church when Peter preached the first message after the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost. And at the end, beginning with verse 37, he tells them what they must be do to be saved. And 3,000 people came to salvation in Jesus Christ on that day. And then verse 42 says what they started to do. And now we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 46, okay? And here is what it says. Now, every day they, who's the they? It's this group of people that came to know the Lord, continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I want to go through these one at a time and really show us how important the, what, that what they did is for us today in the midst. So the very first thing is we see, and if you're taking notes, this is point number one, gathering together inspires your faith. So up here, I want you to see that gathering together inspires your faith. In verse 46, 
they continued meeting together in the temple courts. Now, I've always pondered exactly what this meant because I'm asking myself questions like, uh, well, did everybody meet together? And as it grows, how did they have extra room? What did they do? And what I, what I didn't realize is how massive the Temple Mount actually is. Last year when I went to uh, Israel on a pilgrimage, we went up to see the Temple Mount. I was really excited about this particular place that we were going that day. And it's really interesting because you kind of have to hike up stairs uh, through these covered alleyways to get there. And when we got there and we came out into the expanse of the Temple Mount, I was astounded. Here in Boise, Idaho, we have a stadium that seats over 35,000 people where we go to watch the Boise State Broncos play football. You could have easily put four of those stadiums on top of the Temple Mount. That is how big it is. It's absolutely amazing. And so it was very common for them, or what it says they did is they went there regularly to meet. They went there to experience a large gathering. Now, why would they do that? Well, let me share with you why they would do that. The reason why is because gatherings have impressions upon us. Gatherings bring a form of affirmation to us. Now today, you can go to all kinds of conferences out there with like-minded people in order to help you find affirmation. For instance, you may have heard of, here's one right here, it's called LeakyCon. Now what in the world is LeakyCon all about? Well, I didn't know, so I had to look into it. It turns out that it's a conference for Harry Potter fans where they come together and do scholarly work. So there you go. They are in need of some affirmation. There's the Flat Earth Society. They have a conference every year, and they find all the people in the world that are scientifically trying to prove that the world is flat. Now, I believe they have their work cut out for them, but at least they have a group where they can affirm their unique belief. There's... There is the 1968 conference. I did not know this existed. But these are people who are absolutely transfixed on the year 1968, and that's all they study. Now, there are some significant things. You know, uh, Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1968. Martin Luther King was assassinated, and there was some social transition. But that's what they do. They get together, and all they do is talk about 1968. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that people are in need of affirmation. And when we come into a group of people, we start to get inspired in whatever direction we need affirmation. And what this shows us is that from the very beginning, the first century church gathered together in order to inspire their faith, in order to affirm what God was doing through not only themselves, but this whole group of people. Now, we are not able to have a large group gathering. So you know what our temple court is? It's our online church at home campus. 
Right now, you're gathering with hundreds, maybe even thousands of other people as you are participating in this. Your online campus now can include invitations to friends and family. When you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, which is the two ways in which we are doing online together, you can click on that button that says start a watch party, and then it allows you to type in or send an email or send a text to your friends and say, hey, join me. And then what it does is it allows you to text back and forth, talk back and forth, communicate back and forth, during the online church at home experience. What a great opportunity to invite people to start listening and participating. You could talk about the music. You could talk about my beard if you want. Whatever it is, you can start a watch party and start bringing inviting friends. The reason for this is because gathering inspires our faith. It lets us know we're not alone and it lets us know that God is still moving and doing great things. But large gatherings weren't enough. The very next thing that they did was this. Look at second half of verse 46. It says that they met together from house to house, breaking bread. So what's really interesting now is we see them moving from house to moving from large temple to house to house meetings. And so what this is, uh, the reason they did this is because small church groups build your faith. Now, at first, a large gathering inspires you. It can motivate you. But how do you actually build it? How do you actually start doing the work and taking the steps to build your faith? Well, that's why they met house to house and they took their meals together. Because you see, in a small church group setting, that is how you begin building your faith through following disciplines. It allows you to be vulnerable. It allows you to be honest. It allows you to be held accountable. That's really difficult in a large group. It's not until you are able to open up and start to share about some of your struggles and then have people rally around you, does it allow you to really be, begin to have victory over those things, to conquer the things that are holding you back from growing deeper in your faith? The other thing that it does is it allows you to have encouragement at a, at a small level to start living out the disciplines of prayer and Bible study and stepping out in faith. It, that's where you build faith. Large group inspires faith, Small group builds faith. And so that's why being a part of a smaller church group is so important. Now, here's one fact you need to know. Any small group will not work. It has to be a church small group. And the reason why is because Jesus Christ himself said this, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. So the significant point here is simply this, is that if you just get together in a social group or you just get together for friends, those are fun times, enriching times, but they won't build your faith. It's when you gather together, like church at home, and Jesus is now in your midst and you're saying, God, we want you to work and build us together. So that's really important. Large group inspires your faith. Small group builds your faith. Now let's move on. Notice there in the next verse, uh, he talks about how growing 
Once you're inspired and building, growing causes you to do something. Well, what is it that it causes you to do? Well, this is it. You're growing in faith. Your growth causes you to praise God. So you will start wanting to praise God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, let's understand something that the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about, and that is praise and worship. They're oftentimes intertwined, and they happen in the same context. Simply, simply uh, uh, similar, I guess, is the word for like a marriage. You say, well, we have to have love and respect in our marriage. And love and respect, they're intertwined. They happen in the marriage, but they're slightly different. And when you understand the differences, it helps you do both better, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, the term uh, praising God meant this. It meant uh, like, for instance, let us praise him in his sanctuary, praise him in his temple courts. As we are going up to the temple, let us shout praises unto God. In the New Testament, we hear terms of what praise is, and then we also hear terms of worship. So praise is about stating facts truth statements about God. Worship is about expressing your adoration and feelings towards God. So the best way to weave this together is that if music is worship, praise is the content of the words being expressed in the music. So they're intimately linked, but they're slightly different. Now, why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why. In the Old Testament, the Jews were devastated when they lost the temple. And the reason why they were devastated is because all of their statements of truth were about God's presence in the temple. And when it was destroyed, it was like, well, God is not with us anymore. And so they no longer had strength. They no longer had guidance or sustenance. And this is really painful. It'd be like you uh, going to a destination and you say, hey, Google directions or hey, Siri, you know, how do I get to such and such a place? And Siri answers back, I'm sorry, but I don't work anymore. I mean, you'd feel really lost. And that's how they felt. But in the New Testament, we don't go to a temple anymore. We are the temple. And this is why praise is so important. Praise is about making truth statements about God. So in the midst of this situation, praising God would be making statements like this. God, you are our rock and our salvation. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. Jesus Christ is our only salvation. What do we have to fear of death now? The more praise-oriented statements, the more truth-oriented statements that you make is how you will then begin expressing what God has been doing in you. So large group inspires your faith, small group builds your faith, and then what you do is you start sharing with your friends and your family, and God is there for me. God is my rock. God is my salvation. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I know I'm going to have troubles tomorrow, but Jesus Christ has overcome the world, so I'm at peace. See, these are truth statements that praise God. You know what that does? It lets other people find favor with you. You see, people look at you and go, man, this person isn't going you know, crazy. This person is calm. This person is cool. Man, I can rely on them in my hour of need. And that allows you then, that allows you then to let Jesus Christ move through you. Because look at the last thing that happens there. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So what does that mean? Well, this is what it means. It means that when we are praising God, God moves in a dynamic way, all sorts of ways. Do you see how this fits with the early church? They gathered together and that inspired them. Then they got into smaller groups and that built them. And then when they started to see their own lives changing, their own hearts growing, they began to praise God. Their testimony won people to Christ. And that allowed God to move in even more dynamic ways than ever before. And that's really what this is all about. Everybody loves a comeback story, don't we? Don't you love uh, stories of persistence? One of my favorite is Rudy, you know, who wanted to play for Notre Dame. And it wasn't until the very last game of a senior year that all the players were so impressed with his tenacity on the practice squad that they offered their spot on the roster so Rudy could suit up. What a great story of persistence. We all love stories of uh, when people make mistakes and they have to turn and become new people, the power of redemption. We love those stories. We love stories of people who have had tremendously tragic things happen to their life. There, there's a story of a, of a couple that were newly married and they were in a car wreck and the wife had a severe brain in injury and she'd forgot that she fell in love and had gotten married. And so because the husband took the vow, he then had to woo her and win her all over again. It's a tremendous comeback story of love and redemption. Well, you know what, my friends? The church is the greatest comeback story of all. It's the greatest comeback story of all. And here's why, because it's built on the greatest comeback story in human history, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Satan thought he had won by seeing Christ crucified on the cross. But what he didn't know is he didn't know God's moral code on which the universe is built. And three days later, Satan actually lost. The greatest comeback story of all. And from that moment on, the church has exhibited this comeback story. Now, it hasn't always been pretty. If you're a student of history, let's be honest. Ever since then, the church has been persecuted. It's been taken advantage of. It's been used, abused. It's even strayed from its mission. It got lost a time or two throughout history, but one thing has remained true. It has always come back. It has been renewed. It has been restored, remodeled, redeemed. And the reason why is because when you strip it all away, the church doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me, but it belongs to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Jesus Christ said, it is my church and I will build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when we become a part of the church through salvation, we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. What happens is we become a part of this eternal thing called the bride of Christ, the church. And right now in your living room, sitting at home with your family, you are a part of his church. And because of that, Jesus Christ is going to live through us. And this is the connection that I want you to understand. This is the connection that I want you to draw. And that is as you become the church, as you begin to live out what it means to be the church, God moves in more dynamic 
ways. This is your opportunity to get out of the stands, out of the bleachers, and onto the field. And it's not how beautiful you are, how talented you are. It's all about how available you are to be used by God. Take that list of five, the principle of five, and say, I'm going to do everything I can to share Christ and Christ only with these five people. It's then where God starts to move through you in dynamic ways you never imagined. And you begin to experience the exact same blessing. You experience the exact same convictions. You experience the exact strength from Jesus Christ as he moves through his church. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you are a part of something that is eternal. You, is, you are a part of something that God and God alone is doing, and that is building a victorious church. So that's my passion for you, and that's my desire for you during this time. If you want your family to really be strong, if you want your family to really thrive in this time, then do all you can do to be the church. So we're gonna close with just some simple discussion questions. And they're right up here on your screen. And what I would like you to do is spend the rest of your church at home time together and have a conversation. Start off by asking every person in the room and giving them an opportunity to express themselves. What is concerning you the most? If you have little kids right now, this is a great opportunity to hear from them. Number two, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ through this? What are your praise statements? What are your statements of truth? They're gonna help guide you and strengthen you in faith. Finally, brainstorm or share ways you can be the church to a thirsty world around you. After you spend some time in prayer, after you talk a little bit, I'd love for you to close with a prayer and ask Jesus to work in your life and through your life. And then that will be church at home, okay? So thank you for being with us today, and I'm now gonna release you to be the church at home right now and have these conversations with one another. If you're doing a watch party, do it through the watch party venue. And finally, at the end, right before you, you close in prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you take a picture of your group and share it? In, on social media with us so that we can just see all of the wonderful things that God is doing through our church. God bless you, and I can't wait to be with you later this week. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org. 